Yeah. Thanks for telling me that. Yeah. Your nose is bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't have telekinetic tel- tel- powers. Um, or radiation but yeah. poisoning. Oh, yeah, but like that. basically this film world is created and we want to know more about it. Except we know a lot about it, but because of the details that he's put into it. But yet there's so many remaining burning questions that like I want to know, oh, how did this happen? How did the world end up like this? Why is the military like this? Why are um, there no borders anymore? And it just was one of those things that made me very uh, impressed with Guillermo del Toro. It also made me really um, impressed with just how well this film did an homage to the monster uh, movie genre and the B-movie genre uh, of monster films and how well you can get away with doing an ensemble. And I do believe that films like these are kind of fun because you have an ensemble and you don't have like a main act, a main lead, you know? Like you have a lead, but no one knew at the time who Charlie Hoffman was. Hummin. That is, Hummin. Hummin, yeah. No one knew who he was, aside from Sons of Anarchy. That's about it. I was about to say, he was pretty big in Sons of Anarchy. He was like the main character but, of Sons of Anarchy for like five seasons. But it, but it hadn't taken off at that point, right? Like, look at the year. Like, how many seasons is that in the show? Maybe I'm wrong. I might be wrong on that completely. I think it's five but, or six. But I think when the release date of Pacific Rim wasn't i mean maybe i'm wrong i maybe double check that i'm gonna i'm gonna stop talking at that point no it's but, it's true though i didn't know who he was when i went into this because i never watched sense of anarchy right unless you watch that show he wasn't a star right mm-hmm. yeah and just also the surrounding cast was really well done like you've got charlie day um doing a role that is kind of like comedic but also there's a little bit of seriousness to it as well so it's just really neat it was just neat to see people that you wouldn't expect in the roles that they were doing. And um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Plus Idris Elba. I mean, you can't go wrong with him. He's so good. There's oh, yeah. yeah, there's good cameos. There's a lot of good cameos in this movie. Oh, yeah. They put together a good cast for this kind of movie. I, I'm not sure I've see, ever seen her in anything since or before that. The Mako girl. But Ringo Kikuchi. Yeah. Thank you, Karma. Yeah, glad you're here because I don't know anybody's I'm, names. I, I know they're eating. I'm glad you. I'm glad names. you said it. I'm glad you said it, and not me, because I felt like I was going to mispronounce it. Uh, oh, I probably mispronounced it. So sorry. <laughs> oh damn it! Uh, sorry. But yeah, I think they did a really good job with the characters too, and like in the short amount of time that you're with them, you really start to care about a lot of them. One thing I didn't wasn't crazy about is that the other drivers just kind of felt like fodder because like you got introduced to them but instantly like they didn't tell you anything about them they don't really show them very much and then they instantly die that was one thing that yeah. i think kind of got to me i would have liked to see them do something and not just like go into this battle and like not even like kill one of the kaiju sure whereas like yeah. gypsy danger goes in and kills both of them like super fast i'm um I mean, for me, I felt like I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not knowing who these people were. Like, you had enough. And I guess that's kind of what the monster movie, B-movie genre is. Is Like, you get to know some of these, like, outlandish characters, but you don't really know anything aside from the surface level of who they are. And they're kind of expendable. They're meant to be expendable. But I guess it's Um, also because they talk about, like, how good, like, elite these guys are and stuff, right? Right. But, like, Gypsy Danger is, like, a Mach 3, where some of those were, like, Mach 4s and stuff. And they got instantly right. destroyed i think only Hold one apart. of them was a mark two if i'm correct carmen mark one was turn alpha and yeah. then i think the um crimson typhoon was mark four yeah yeah and then uh striker Eureka was mark five 
But there's one other uh, one. The other, there's four of them. Gypsy Danger was Mark Three. Well, the... there's only four. I thought there were five. That you actually see fighting. Yeah, no, there's oh, four. There's only four. Okay. Yeah, it's it's Chernobyl Alpha, the Russian. Mm -hmm. Crimson Typhoon was the Chinese. Right. Striker Eek was the Australian, and then. I mean, you see a couple of the other ones. I think, like, Coyote Tango, which was one yeah. of the earlier mechs that you see. That was the, uh, Aegis Albus, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So you see, like, that one a little bit. And then there's, like, Romeo Blue, which I think was the one that you see, like, in the first, like, five mm -hmm. minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, with the shoes that get named after him. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a good scene. Um... When they like started like show like off the merch that would happen, yeah, I was yeah. like, that would yeah. totally happen too. Like if they got complacent to the danger because these mechs yeah. were so good at like killing the kaiju, then they would definitely make merch like about oh, monsters sure. as well as like the things. And there'd be groupies about like the monsters and stuff. Yeah, that's another thing that I want to mention about this movie is that the first like five minutes of the movie grab you so hard, mm -hmm. like it brings yeah. you into this world so yeah. well, and like they use like they use a combination of um like visual storytelling and narration yeah. to mm -hmm. give you an idea of what's going on so like they like Gilmer Totoro is very careful about, not, about showing and not telling mm -hmm. like although Charlie Hunnam is narrating over top of it like you get a really rich picture of what's going on based on the images you see and like I remember watching those first few minutes just be like holy shit and it puts you like right in the middle yeah. like and it fills you in on everything what's going on and then you're like right into the action like right away when you start like when the, the movie actually does start no what I would like, actually compare it to first call. the start of Fellowship of the Ring like it draws mm. you in that same kind of way like it tells you kind of the initial like what's happening but it gets you right into like this is the past like this is happening there's like narration that you could probably ignore and still kind of get an idea of what was happening right um mm. but yeah it's like that it's a mix like you said about that visual aspect like it's very engaging visual aspect too as well as like the narrating like the exposition narrating of the background mm -hmm. and it gives you that like that huge window of what was happening within five minutes and then they're like all right that's the past that's what happened now we're going into what's happening yeah so i i really appreciate that and i think that they did a great job he actually yeah. did a really good job like voicing over it too mm -hmm. that's overall this solid. film this film is like it's pretty it's pretty solid mm -hmm. and like also the score as well very underrated mm. very underrated not a lot of people talk about it except for carmen <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I talk about it a lot, so it makes up for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that says a lot to, like, pull out a name like uh, Tom Morello to do, this, uh, like, basically the main theme for the show, or for the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And no one really, I mean, I didn't see a lot of press about it, you know, when yeah. it first came out. Yeah, so. I think there were billboards and stuff, but that was about it. Awesome. Uh, you guys ready for the plot? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yep. Now I wrote a lot, but I'll probably try and skip some parts because I don't think everything's super necessary. But I didn't want to miss anything. And, oh, you guys are gross. Why do you always do this when I'm about to do this? What are you doing, Carmen? <laughs> she was being gross. I was demonstrating. Nope. The nope. We're done. <laughs> All right. 
Alright. We start in some voiceover background with the situation on Earth, well, like we were just talking about. In 2013, colossal monsters identified as kaiju have risen from the interdimensional rift uh, in the crevice beneath the Pacific Ocean, resulting in a war that's taking millions of lives and quickly consuming humanity's resources, as well as taking tons and tons of money because those mechs are expensive. To combat the monsters, a special type of weapon is designed. Massive mechs known as Jaggers, which are controlled simultaneously by two or three pilots whose minds have been locked into a neural bridge, sharing the mental strain which would overwhelm a single pilot and either cause them to die or go crazy. This is what is called drift or drifting or a neural handshake. After the creation of the Jaggers, it became easy for them to beat the kaiju. Uh, so as we do in our society, we started to create merchandise. We have shoes, we have toys, we have a weird Japanese talk show where there's like a monster and it was kind of funny and weird, but it was pretty awesome. The kaiju became almost a joke to people uh, as they got so good at winning. Flash forward to current day, at the time at least. Riley and his brother Yancey Beckett are instructed to suit up to it's fight. Actually, Raleigh. Is it Riley? Raleigh. No, it's Riley now. Raleigh. 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 Right. Are instructed Raleigh. to suit up to the fight the kaiju labeled Knifehead because they are really creative at making names. A designation category three in danger and size. Right here is a great callback to one of my favorite movies, uh, where he says, Hey kid, don't get cocky. Good callback to Star Wars. <laughs> um, they wade out into the Pacific uh, Ocean in their Jaeger, Gypsy Danger. So fuck you guys for the beginning, where you said it wasn't appropriate for me to say that. Uh, uh, with orders to kill the kaiju and save the city. They're told to ignore a small fishing boat that is in the middle of the battle because, you know, what's 10 lives compared to millions? Ray Riley? Riley? I'm just going to call him Riley. Raleigh. Uh, Raleigh. 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 Ignores the command and attempts to save the ship anyways because for, for some reason that's important even though they fight through cities where I'm sure they accidentally kill tons of people anyways. He and Yancey believe that they are victorious after shooting Knifehead with their plasma cannon which was sweet which is built into his arm. Man, that thing was awesome. Uh, and he prepares to leave because why check for a pulse? Knifehead then reappears tearing off its left arm. Left arm? Yeah, left arm. Um, and causing Raleigh permanent damage. <laughs> Knifehead then attacks the head, ripping it open and killing Yancey while he is still connected to his brother. Raleigh pilots the Jagger solo, killing Knifehead, which was sweet, shooting him multiple times with his second plasma cannon, which why didn't they use both of them in the first place? But receiving severe damage to Gypsy Danger in the process. Somehow able to control the Jagger by himself without dying or going crazy, he limps the Jagger ashore on the Alaskan coast. Much of the amazement of a f to the amazement of a father and son who was just like walking around with like a metal detector where they point to the ocean like just sideways and they pick it up. That was pretty good. Um, Raleigh emerges from the broken hull 
of Gypsy, danger, and dazed and bloodied before falling to the ground unconscious while the father sends his son to go get mental help. Traumatized by the son lost his brother and still maintaining mental connectivity while it happened, that must have sucked. He would have felt like all that, like his brother dying. That would have been ugh. Uh, Raleigh quits the Jagger program altogether. Flash forward five years. The, incre the increasing amount of attacks and evolving kaiju are making Jaggers not viable options in these fights. Jaggers keep dying one after another, and it takes more and more to take down the kaiju. Marshall Stacker Pentecost, right? Yeah, got that one right. Uh, is informed by the UN that the program is being decommissioned because it is too costly. His crew and all remaining Jaggers will be shipped to Hong Kong Shatterdome with eight months of funding. Man, that's what I should have called my island in Animal Crossing. The Shatterdome. Yeah, you should have. I didn't. Would you oh. call it the Boneyard? No, I was going to, but then I just called it uh, Asterea, which is like the scientific word for uh, Chrysanthemum. It's okay. kind of lame, but I still like it. In the meantime, they will concentrate efforts to building a kaiju wall. Because, you know, when in doubt, build a wall. Uh, a tall structure protecting the Pacific cities from kaiju. Stacker uh, plans to follow through with the initial Jaeger objective, regardless of the lack of funding. He flies to the kaiju wall where Raleigh has been working for the past five years. Well, they need more Jaeger pilots, and he was one of the only ones to ever pilot solo, so Sacker definitely wants him. Told you I'm retired. <laughs> My mom, too old for this shit. <laughs> um, we see on a screen as they are at the wall, with a wall just completely getting destroyed by a, a kaiju named, uh, oh, I wrote this down, Mutavor. Uh, who is attacking Sydney, Australia, before being stopped by a Jaeger, Striker Eureka, which actually looked super cool, uh, who was piloted by Herc and Chuck Hansen. Chuck asserts that the reason the Jaeger program froze was because of weak pilots and not because of the Jaegers themselves. Stacker uh, asks Raleigh to rejoin the program, but he declines because, you know, he's being a little bitch about things. He and his brother were still connected when he died, and he cannot stand the mental pain of another person inside of his head. Stacker asks where he would rather die, building the wall or in a Jaeger, fighting Kaiju. Riley is like, yeah, you're right. Like, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go out. Sweet. When they arrive in Hong Kong, they are greeted by Mako Mori, later revealed as Pentecost's adopted daughter. And man, was she hot. She follows Raleigh around the Shatterdome. <sighs> Shatterdome, so good. They get into an elevator with two scientists, Newton uh, Gaisler and Herman... Oh, I hate this one. Gottlieb? Close enough. I was just saying Gottlieb. Gottlieb. Yeah. <laughs> Herman and Newton are what we're going to call them from now on. Yeah. Because those are easier. Who comprise the entire research team for the base? Because, you know, why have more than two people working on this, like, world-ending thing? The Jagger Station and the Shatterdome remaining mechs are Crimson Typhoon, which is features three-armed and three pilots, the Way Triplets, as we talked about before. The second is called uh, Cherno Alpha piloted by a pair of Russians, and that was, again, the first... It was number... A tier one? Or a generation one? Mark one. Mark one, yeah. And then uh, we have Herc and Chuck, who pilot the only Mark V still in existence, Striker Eureka. 
Uh, Stacker, man, his name should be Stryker. That'd be so much better. Stacker then goes to meet with the scientists, uh, and he is told, based on the data, that they can expect a double event soon, and then a triple event to happen soon after, as the timeline keeps moving up increasingly so. Noon asserts that he believes that he can connect with the kaiju via drift in this, like, weird half-brain thing he has, like, preserved, like, uh, the Emperor in the uh, new uh, Star Wars movie. Uh, the same as the pilots in the Jaggers do. Uh, Stacker dismisses this, telling him that that's impossible, uh, and they will go along with the information from the other scientists. Gabe, what are you doing? <laughs> he's show- just, like, yelling. It looks like he's just, like, yelling, <laughs> like, like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> Mako shows Rayleigh to Gypsy Danger, who has been rebuilt with additional weapons. Why they rebuilt that one instead of making a new one, I don't know. Uh, but she and shows him to his room, which is across from hers. And it's really weird because she, like, just watches him, like, take his clothes off. I think that's this part. And you're just like, come on. Like, what's wrong with getting naked? What's going on? happens at this room point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. But, like, naked. yeah. But it's like, why you gotta be creepy about it? Just be like, mmm, like, walk in and close the door. <laughs> like, what if you can't do I that? Think, I, feel like, like, I feel like that's more creepier. <laughs> yeah, that would be way worse. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no, no. It's only creepy when we do it, guys. But that's even that's uh, no, one more step worse yeah, but yeah that's like it that's i kind of like the subtle romance but anyway let's get back i, to I liked the romance don't get me wrong it was good but we'll talk about that later i'm sure she tells him that sh- he will meet the candidates for his partnership soon that he hopes to be the pi- uh his co-pilot someday her record is impressive but she makes it clear that stacker would not allow her to fight even though she has like a 51 and 51 record like that's insane perfect record girl and can't go fight uh, she then goes to her room, but watches here. Yeah, watches him from the door as he changes, and then goes into her room as, when he's like, uh, "What are you doing here? Like, why are you just standing there?" <laughs> She's like, "Ah," gets into her own room and then proceeds to look through the peephole at him changing. <laughs> I was like, "All right, well, that's a little. That's that's kind of maybe next level." In the mess hall, Rayleigh is invited to sit with Herc and his son, Chuck. But Chuck is an asshole and instantly dislikes Rayleigh. Uh, since he believes him to be weak and the reason that people are so angry at Jaggers. Herc apologizes for his behavior because his son's a little asshole. Uh, but it's the reason, I guess, why they work together. Because uh, he, like, balances them two out. Rayleigh goes to meet uh, his new partnership candidates who are all apparently awful um though from the way that she was talking about it she was like four and oh and i was like okay and then when he won one it was four and one so i was like did he just get beat by four people shouldn't those be like the people that he wants to like train with but i guess not um after noticing mako's uh staring at him with displeasure saying that she keeps making this weird face whenever they fight uh he challenges her to a duel uh and they are pretty evenly matched, but Mako eventually wins, going 4-3 as she goes into beast mode. Uh, but even though he says they will have full compatibility with Drift, because some reason that will give them compatibility in Drift, because they had a couple good fights, uh, Saka refuses to let them drift together. We move over to the scientist's room, uh, and I 
at this point, I actually remembered that it was the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he basically acts exactly like the guy, like his personality in the... No, I don't, I, don't like, I don't act like that at all. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. It was exactly like the exact same character, except this wasn't a scientist. It was kind of... It was weird. But I think he does that for most of his roles. Um, who attempts to drift with a small part of a brain of the kaiju uh, that they've been keeping alive. Here we get a glimpse from the other side of the breach and the aliens who are... Uh, apparently cloning these uh, kaijus over and over again and making them better each time, um, which almost kills him, and it's bad. Against his better judgment, Stacker appoints Mako and Rayleigh as partners uh, to go test out Gypsy Danger. Uh, Stacker is called away by a friend scientist dude uh, who tells him that Newton attempted to link with the brain anyways and is seizing on the floor because that's what happens when you connect to something that's that powerful. Stacker, especially because it's part of a fucking hive mind. Like, get your shit together, man. Stacker runs to check on him, and Newton tells him that the kaiju have a hive mind, uh, meaning that they were all mentally linked to their masters, uh, who are the colonizers. Do we know what those colonizers call Carmen from the other stuff you have? Uh, yeah. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, though, okay. which is very disappointing. Yeah, I'm disappointing you. Let me get back to you on that. All right. He explains that they uh, go from world to world, utilizing the kaiju to eradicate the current inhabitants. Uh, they came to Earth's earth once before during the time of the dinosaurs but there was too much oxygen in the atmosphere uh and because of how shitty we are as humans with our pollution and whatnot we have basically terraformed the world for them giving them a perfect condition uh stacker instructs Nund to do another link with a fresh brain that he can get from the black market dealer hannibal chow who i think i liked i liked it i liked that character it was good. Yeah. Uh, Precursors was the name of the, the aliens. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, meanwhile, after the link between Rayleigh and Mako is established, Rayleigh uh, has a memory of his brother being taken from Gypsy Danger, causing the link to br have an initial break. Since Mako's it's Mako's first run, she also freaks the hell out and goes into a very terrifying memory of a kaiju deciding to chase after one little girl, even though there's like people running in front of them. I didn't get that part, but that is what happened. Uh, she accidentally activates the plasma cannon and is about to shoot everybody when they shut her down. Through this memory, we also learned that Stacker was the uh, or the Jaeger pilot who helped save her from the kaiju. Um, yep. Then we move forward. Chuck and Rayleigh fight when Chuck insults Mako because, again, he is an asshole. Uh... And he gets his ass kicked royally by Rayleigh. It's actually pretty amusing. And Mako goes in to talk to Stacker. Stacker tells Mako that she is too inexperienced and won't be piloting again. Uh, this is kind of a father's daughter moment that was awkward to watch. Uh, I don't know if you guys found that too. I thought it was fine. No problems. Yeah, it was good. Oh. I liked it. Oh, I thought it was very awkward. And then she started, like, fake crying, which didn't look great. Rayleigh strikes out at Stacker, saying that he knows why he won't let Mako fight since he has been in her memories. The kaiju that was hunting Mako, uh, like I said, was killed by the Stacker, and he took her under his wing and adopted her. Rayleigh 
says uh, that he only he is only hindering Mako, but Stacker says that he has made up his mind. Um, we move back to the main control area where a category four, two category four kaijus and the double event has come. Leatherback and Otashi. I liked Leatherback. He was sweet. He was like both of them are pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely like the monkey more than the the flying one though. Yeah. Striker Eureka, Crimson Typhoon, and Chernel Alpha are deployed to fend off the kaiju. And whoever came up with these names, again, super awesome. They deserve to make more things, and they should make more of these things. <laughs> Herc. Oh. Were you going to say something, Carmen? Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Herc and Chuck. Oh, man. I wish they had made a second one of these so there'd be more crazy names. Uh, more on that later. <laughs> Herc and Chuck are supposed to remain back at the island as a last resort to avoid being damaged, uh, while Wei Tang triplets and the Russians, because I'm not going to try and pronounce that last name, attack the two kaiju. The kaiju quickly destroy both of them with no problem at all. Just completely wipe them out. It was kind of, again, anticlimactic for those two, because they were built up as like being super elite. Even like uh, Gypsy Danger's pilot relay was uh, impressed with the way twin or the triplets, but they just instantly died. Like no, no problem. Um, prompting Herc and Chuck to go in for the assist. Oh, I'm gonna sneeze one second. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. 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 Oh, uh, you're muted there. I thought you. Yeah, I thought you were gonna put that on I muted myself. Oh, okay. Uh, the kaiju swiftly destroys Crimson Typhoon, prompting Herc and Chuck to assist. Oh, I already did that part. Sorry, guys. Um, Striker Eureka arrives to join the battle against Leatherback and Otashi, but uh, not before the creature overpowers uh, Cherno Alpha, and Otashi then moves to the attack Hong Kong. Leatherback triggers an EMP, because why not give a monster an EMP against things that are mostly mechanical? Uh, disabling both Striker Eureka and the command center itself. To, except, it seemed like most of that city, even though it showed like it getting EMP'd, was like back online within like five minutes. Like, come on. Have some consistency, guys. No, don't you worry about that. <laughs> Tendo says it will take two hours to get it all back online because for some reason he knows the exact timing for uh, getting stuff back on after an EMP. So Stacker deploys Mako and Rayleigh in Gypsy Danger, even though he said he would never let them go together again. You know, screw that. Let's just put him out there. Uh, because Gypsy Danger uses a nuclear core and was unaffected by the EMP. Except there must have been some mechanical parts in that, but whatever. They Catalog. defeat... Yeah, like, it, it would have knocked out a lot of their, like, monitors and shit. Because <laughs> um, they might be a nuclear-powered, but they are still mechanical. They defeat Leatherback pretty swiftly. Um, I can't remember if this was the one where, like, they ripped, like, his jaws open or something, but it was really kind of intense. No, they shot his arm off. Oh, they right. Had, That's that. They had, like, the plasma cannon on his chest, and then, like, it blew his arm mm. off, and then they, they like, filled him up with plasma after that, too. Mm, yeah, just to make sure. Learning his lesson, he turns back and says, let's see if there's a pulse, and they shoot him another, like, six times. Like, I'll oh, just empty the clip. <laughs> um, meanwhile, Newton uh, is walking around Hong Kong searching for Hannibal Cho's secret lair. Uh, when he finds him, he is astounded to see Chow is a... Uh, has equipment and specimens even the government doesn't including these weird like larvae that live on top of the uh, kaiju that 
were really gross looking. Newton tells Chow that he wants to establish another link, and Chow tells him that it's dangerous because the Kaiju now know where Newton is, and they want to kill him for some reason. He dismisses Newton as Itachi storms the city, and Noon heads to a public kaiju bunker that he later calls a buffet. Uh, the bunker is attacked by Otashi because, again, he knows exactly where this guy is because he's, I guess, part of the hive mind now. I don't know how they were able to track him exactly. They didn't really explain that part. It would make sense if they knew like where the main base was, but maybe not where he was. Who breaks through the shelter's roof while searching, um, and then from behind, Gypsy Danger attacks. Uh, they fight throughout the city, which was ballin', a ballin' ass fight scene. Uh, when he like jumps through that glass building and hits him, and then like Gypsy Danger like punches through the part or the uh, office building, knocking the uh, pendulum. That was hilarious. Not needed at thing. all, but <laughs> hilarious. I enjoyed it. Um, they fight through the streets until I think he rips off Otashi's arm. Uh, he freezes the tail, freezes which the is tail, like trying right. to grab him. His face, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But after the tail is broken, he sprouts wings from nowhere and grabs Gypsy Danger and takes it into the sky. Uh, Mako deploys Gypsy's sword, which you look at and you're like, well, why didn't you start with that? Like, that seems to be, like, your best weapon right now. Why don't you just start with a thing that can cut through a kaiju in a single slice? Probably would have been easier. I mean, you could uh, kind of, like, explain that away by being, like, one, they're amateur pilots and might not have known about it or thought about it earlier. Two, the kaiju blood is highly toxic because they established earlier in the film, and so maybe didn't want to use a sword to, you know, pollute the, the city. And so it was, like, going to be a last resort type of thing. Uh, because, you know, they wouldn't want to use it unless they absolutely know, had they to. They were blowing parts off the things, though, and they were bleeding really heavily. Well, the idea with the plasma cannon was that it cauterizes the wound at the same time, and mm. so it would not necessarily spread that blood. That's why they had, like, the plasma cannon instead of just, like, uh, conventional weapons. Oh, okay. like, I don't know why the anti-kaiju missiles on uh, Striker Eureka, but anyway, I don't anyway. know how all that stuff works, but anyway, yeah. sword. Alright, well, thank you for explaining that, because I didn't actually think of that until you started talking about it. <laughs> and they, uh, and with this new weapon that they somehow had, um, they cut Otashi in twain uh, before falling to Earth. Um, and like they had to like brace for impact and stuff. It was it was it was entertaining, but they were coming hot and they destroyed that stadium. Yeah, that stadium ain't no gonna have not gonna have any more football games. No, but I don't know if you noticed. I'm pretty from what I saw or like the angle I saw that he did like a superhero entrance. Yeah, like one totally. like one was like was down and then the other one was on the knee. I was like, yeah, superhero entrance. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Newton goes back to Chu's store after the attack and demands a brain from uh, dead the dead kaiju. Uh, Chow relents, and he and the team go to harvest the parts from the carcass of Otashi. Chow's men say that this, uh, the second brain of Otashi is unfortunately damaged, but they hear a heartbeat. Uh, and Noon realizes that Otashi was a pregnant somehow, even though it's a clone. Um, clone evolving thing that they send through a breach instantly. While running, Noon uh, slips as the infant asphyxiates itself with its own umbilical cord only to eat Chow in a Jurassic Park style before finally dying. It was... Chokes it, on him. Yeah, it was gross. Chokes on Chow. Well, then he also fixated himself more. Because right, as yeah, he was, like, true. going up, he, like, 
Poldmore. Yeah. Um, that was Don't a very, kink shame him. Yeah, that was a very violent scene. God damn it, Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to gloss over that, but I can't. Like, God damn it. I mean, you do you, but uh, I don't think that's what the thing was intending. That's what the kaiju was doing. He was doing himself. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Uh, Saka reveals after they return that it is very ill due to the re- he is very ill due to the radiation poisoning from piloting the Mark One, which uh, Coyote Tango, which didn't have any kind of radiation shielding for some reason. You know, let's have a giant like nuclear core, but not have any radiation thing for the pilot. That's cool. Uh, you know, it's the 20th century. They probably would have had that shit on lockdown. But whatever. Stacker decides to put his final plan into motion early, as they uh, can't do it if there's a triple attack. The final plan is to go through the portal and destroy it from within at a high-yield nuclear bomb. Because, you know, the nuclear bombs are usually... Uh, no, I'm not even going to go there. So that was the kaiju uh, can no longer get through. Gypsy Danger is supposed to run protection, giving enough time for Chuck and Herc to get through the portal to deploy the bomb. However, in the last fight, Herc was injured by... Get- I, guess, I guess he got out of his suit, I think, or out of his, like, harness... They disconnected themselves from the Jaeger so they could crawl on top to shoot flares at Leatherback. Yeah, because that was going to do something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, and however, they got knocked. Yeah. yeah, it got knocked out. Yeah. However, with Herc injured the little time to find another pilot, Stacker in a dramatic entrance. Oh my god, Gabe. Uh, and looking just like he did in the Hobbs and Shaw movie with that sweet, like, back armor. You, you guys both are the worst. Uh they are being very inappropriate on camera stuff that would get us a 18a rating um looking uh yeah like i said he looked just like he did in hobbs and shaw with like the body armor i don't know if you guys caught that at all but i was like hobbs and shaw get your own thing stop taking pacific rims awesome look <laughs> i haven't seen that movie so yeah I don't know. oh what oh yeah, that's the next one guys oh, fast and furious in review oh so many movies <laughs> i know it's like Fuck. seven eight maybe i think seven um, like the suit from, okay, uh, got through that. Um, knowing that they could die from this, Chuck says a final goodbye to his father. Um, meanwhile, Noon has decided to link with the newborn's brain, I guess, because it was still kind of active. And his partner, scientist, joins him. They realize that the plan will not work base, uh, and return to base as fast as they can. Um... When they get a hold of the two Jaggers, uh, sorry, I think put myself forward a little bit. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, sorry. When they get back, uh, they get a hold of the two Jaggers. Uh, they tell them that they need genetic code from a kaiju. It's like being at a store where it reads the barcode on the kaiju to get through the portal. That is why every attempt before has failed because it's just bounced off. I thought that was pretty cool. That's a very cool aspect. Um, so they need to actually take a kaiju with them when they go through the portal. The two Jaggers engage uh, the triple event kaiju, Scunner, Reiju, and Slatter. Okay, Slatter. I was, uh, I said before, like, I like the naming of stuff. Reiju sounds, seems lazy. Like Raiju? Yeah. Yeah, that was I, I... like kaiju with an R. Come on, you can be more creative than that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, with the latter of the strongest three being the first ever Category 5 Kaiju, who didn't actually look as cool as many of the Category 4s. 
Both Jaggers take heavy damage in the process, though, during this fight. Stacker and Chuck uh, decide to blow their internal, uh, I guess, energy source, the giant-ass bomb that they were going to bring through, sacrificing Striker and Chuck to kill Scunner and Slattern to give Mako and Rayleigh a chance to get through the portal. Heavily damaged after killing uh, Scunner, which was also a good fight. They sliced him in half. That was sweet. Like, just, like, stem to stern, man. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And as he, uh, after being damaged by the fight, as well as getting knocked back from the water, that was also very cool when the thing exploded and, like, all the water was gone for a couple seconds. Mm -hmm. And he rushed back. That was very cool animation. Gypsy, uh, we find out that Slattern actually never died. Uh, So Gypsy tackles him with his uh, boosters on, killing it with his sword on the way down, going down into the other side. During this time, uh, we see that Mako is losing oxygen rapidly, so Rayleigh gives him his share, gives her him sh- his share to deploy and deploys her ejection pod. Uh, he then proceeds to manly overload the nuclear reactor because there's some damage from before as Gypsy enters the Antiverse. Here we get a good glimpse of what the aliens look like. Very cool. Like, kind of weird bug-slash-alien-looking things. Riley gets there just in time to eject himself out as the portal is being destroyed. I thought that was a little bit too convenient. I think he probably should have just died at this point. Might have made for a stronger ending. But he somehow survives. He was able to get through the portal as this thing, even though wouldn't it not let them through because it wasn't reading them as a kaiju? I thought that was the whole point of them going in with a kaiju. Maybe on the way back, it is there's no check. Maybe. That seems like a weird, weird system. Uh, I don't know. Carmen, you're supposed to be the expert. <laughs> he had kaiju blood on him. Uh, don't you know Del Toro? Can't you give him a call? <laughs> yeah, I like, probably should. Thinking? <laughs> the two pods reach the surface, but Rayleigh is not responding with a pulse, and they fear that he is dead. Mako swims over to Rayleigh, and you know what? Carmen, are you gonna do one of these like I don't like the okays, like you're you're dead. Oh nah. All right. Well, you know what? Giant <laughs> giant monsters. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Giant mechs like shooting off plasma lasers. Cool. Getting through like this weird portal to another universe. I can I can do it. Her getting out her her pod and somehow swimming over to him when she has tons of like metal all over her armor. No 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 no. You would sink so fast and die. <laughs> You would mm. not be able to swim over to the other pod. You would just sink. I don't care how strong you are, how fit you are. You have that much, like, metal and shit on you? Uh-uh. You're going straight to that bottom. That's a good fair point. Yeah, so she's dead, but somehow she survives. Uh, she, <laughs> <laughs> she opens up the pod and uh, hugging him in relief because he, and he jokes he couldn't breathe because she was holding him too tightly. Tendo tells them that the hel- uh, helicopter's on the way. Yeah, yay, it's all done. Herc tells uh, in the Shatterdrome is now the Marshal, telling them to stop the war clock that has been counting down all this time to the next attack as the portal is now closed. And that's the movie. Did you get to the part where the precursors get blown up? Yeah, that was with the giant thing when oh, okay. the thing exploded. Right on. Uh, yeah, actually, that was, that was really sweet to look at, too. Like, the yeah. blue explosion going out. Yeah. What about the... Uh, post credit scene. I was about to go into that. Uh, I was going to ask if you guys both saw the post credit scene. Oh yeah, loved it. 
I didn't know there was one. Yeah. So after the initial set of credits where you get all the cool credits before the black screen credits, um, it shows Hannibal Chow slicing himself out of the belly of the infant kaiju that swallowed him whole, uh, demanding, where's my missing shoe? Where is my goddamn shoe? Somebody, somehow unharmed uh, by the Otashi's blood, which I thought was kind of weird. It's supposed to be like super like acidic and stuff. I thought it was just poisonous. Well, still. I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if it's acidic necessarily, but. But still, yeah. like, all over his like face and eyes. And it's shit. ammonium. You think yeah. Probably, probably do some damage. Also, he got swallowed. I, I <laughs> like in a very violent way. I, yeah, I mean, into I his like stomach acid and stuff. I I I don't know. A funny scene, but <laughs> kind of took a lot of the logic out of this movie. That like, the only little that. bits of logic there was. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh. oh, Ronaldo. Yeah, that was a good movie though. I gotta say, like reading through it again, like man, I can see why you've watched it so many times, Carmen. Yeah, it's pretty fun. The, like the whole part about the precursors and you finding out that the kaijus are clones and stuff like that added like many more layers like I was like oh cool there's gonna be just like a bunch of fights with like giant monsters and giant robots and then they introduced all that aspect and like on the first time when you see Newt drifting with the kaiju and you see kind of like that the drifting images just kind of like this dream kind of sequence where it's just like just like you know things in that and like you know there's a picture of that and a picture of that it's like was that a kaiju there and you're trying to figure out as you know a viewer being like oh what did you just see what does that mean what what was that mm-hmm. and you're and so you're you know you're left like wondering and then he kind of talks about what he thinks it was and you're like oh shit yeah right and then like he gets to even more information the second time and it was just like this it was kind of like this mystery that was being uh unraveled as the film went on and i i found that really compelling and i wanted to know so much more i was like oh shit like what's going on here and it like kind of added this layer to the movie that I wasn't expecting, and I really liked. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, I, I want to say I was very like I liked that aspect, like the uh, that they're being created and cloned and like that kind of thing. The stuff with the, it being pregnant didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but um, we can move past that one. But I liked in the final fight, like the they made these like things so evolved, like to fit their environment that they're going into, right? Like, the last three things were all, like, completely aquatic kaijus. And mm-hmm. because they knew, because they drifted into uh, Noon's brain, they, uh, or, like, because he drifted into their brain and, like, shared it with the hive mind, like, it knew, oh, they're coming, let's send some aquatic uh, kaijus this time. Like, I thought that was really mm-hmm. cool. And, like, having, like, like, these people are obviously very, very smart going through worlds and, like, taking over, but, yeah, I was... I like the aspect of it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was just, yeah. I like that it wasn't just like, this is just a giant monster versus giant robot movie. This is like, it actually has some depth to it. And like, the characters are actually pretty compelling for the most part. Yeah, I really like the, all the characters and uh, like the fact that they have characters from all over the world too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, kind of all working together in different nations and everything. I thought that was really cool. I, thought, like, I think that filming in general has this giant message of unity. Mm hmm. And bringing together people of different races and all sorts of backgrounds, uh, and in particular the part about like drifting with someone and you know two people piloting uh, something together through memories and all that. It's like it uh, welcomes kind of a, a theme of sympathy and or sorry not sympathy empathy 
mm-hmm. uh, towards each other and kind of understand having this understanding and doing so in the most awesome way possible of uh, you know punching giant monsters with a giant robot arm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and and I like also the fact that it doesn't make it romantic. Do you know what I mean? Like it's their their relationship is is platonic. It's a friendship, and I think that's you don't you don't see that enough in movies uh, where you have two leads, and it's like heteronormatively saying like, oh, they're gonna get together. It's gonna happen. It's gotta happen. It's just they're just made for each other, um, and I like that because you know not all relationships are like that. I think it is romantic, but it's not overtly so. Yeah. Like you see kind of like Mako like checking him out and then she's and then he's kind of like, Oh, I never thought about the future until now and he kinda of like looks over at her and like there's there's kind of like little moments, but like I did enjoy the fact that they didn't have like a, a kiss at the end, like that big yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. And so it was, yeah. it was kind of more subtle, right? I mean, but you can I mean maybe they love each other but not they're not in love with each other. I don't know. I mean it's a it's an interesting read. I never thought of them as romantic. Hmm. But that's but that's just me. Yeah. I, I thought I definitely thought it was like a romance like hmm. but yeah. I mean it was also like it wasn't such a big part of the movie that like it really made you think about it it was kind of just like a fleeting part of it like to the side like maybe she's like humanizing him again and like making him like care about the world again um, which I thought was good but one thing I was I, uh, <laughs> I noticed as we we're talking more and more is that there was like only one female in this movie hmm like there was the other Russian, like the Russian girl, but she dies instantly, has zero lines. So, so what you're saying is the patriarchy wins again. <laughs> wins again. As the, as the villain. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I don't think it, like I don't think we need to to overtly have more females in it. I mean, that would've been nice. It would've been sweet to like maybe even have the main character be a female too or whatever. But I think that it didn't take away from it. But it was something that I noticed. But I mean, mm. yeah. But it wasn't, like, so overpoweringly like, this is the patriarchy. Like, this is, like, only males can do this. Because she was obviously the best, but her dad, quote-unquote, uh, was just overly protective. Which, like, a whole... If only there was, like... Yeah. Cliche. If only there was, like, a sequel. If only there was, like, a sequel to this film that could pre- pre- predominantly show a nice, even range of diversity of gender. I'll be honest, I don't like remember anything about the second movie other than Yeah, the, that would be good. I hope, they that did it they, in a... I hope that if they do that, they don't make the script suck. Oh, or they, Carmen, or they do it, it to a first or, they, or, or they do it in a sincere way, you know? Like, they don't do it as tokenism. Because that would be bad storytelling. Hmm. All right, guys, no future spoilers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought, all in all, like, very entertaining movie, very fun like all aspects of it some but like at the same time like Carmen was saying like very deep in certain parts and like you can like read into more things if you want to which is also awesome would you recommend the uh graphic novel it was kind of interesting yeah i i think it was like oh man what was it called uh oh, it's first cool. year or something like that first year zero yeah year zero. totally yeah 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 it was cool it was it kind of provided some background on uh, stacker and kind of why he gets into it like i think his sister was like a fighter pilot and then her co-pilot uh, eventually becomes the Jaeger pilot with him i think that was how it went and then like she dies of cancer and stuff and mm. 
you know, oh, sorry, spoilers, but would make sense anyway. for, uh, you know, all that radiation that they were going through because they decided not to put radiation shields in. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, it gets into kind of more of those details and, uh, yeah. like, you know, it doesn't really get into Raleigh and his brother because they're just like kids at the time. Mm-hmm. Raleigh! So it's more about Stacker and kind of how he kind of gets pulled into it. Oh, nice. Uh, which is cool. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think Del Toro might have actually written that graphic novel as well. He probably had hand in it. I mean, him and Travis Beachman, the writer of the film, mm-hmm. worked closely together on it. So nice. I'm sure that uh, Del Toro put some of his uh, mastery into that too. Yeah. The, the other thing I really liked about this film was that uh, it had that like kind of uh, message behind it about what the the real kind of issue behind it, all these the monsters are. Like in Godzilla, that was kind of a response to the nuclear bomb. And, uh, you know, it was something that, um, you know, woke him up. They kind of, yeah, they used like the nuclear bomb. It, obviously, like, you know, Japan has been the only country to actually experience the uh, horrors of it. And so they kind of used the nuclear bomb as like kind of a, or Godzilla's metaphor for the nuclear bomb of this like uncontrollable power attacking them, right? Mm-hmm. And Del Toro uh, chose to kind of do the same thing by talking about how, like, you know, all the. Uh, carbon monoxide and all that it was like you know terraforming it for the precursors and so yeah. he made like kind of like the the whole environmental crisis uh the metaphor that the kaijus are on top of and so i really like that aspect of kind of well first of all making some bringing to light you know something that's topical but also um kind of taking that same pattern that hasn't been established by other kaiju films mm-hmm. yeah um Gabe, you got anything else to say about? Uh, no, I just I I think I think it was like a brilliant film. I think movies like these in science fiction or fantasy, however you want to categorize it, are just so cool because they create these estrangements, kind of what Carmen was saying, for larger issues, whether mm-hmm. it's like the environment, whether it's homophobia, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, um, or um, the taboo of sex. Um, there's just really good writing allows for that interpretation to take place and whether or not it's like really implicit or explicit, I should say, and you're being hammered with the message. Like for example, um, oh my God, I've just already forgotten the name of the film, the prawns district nine. Thank you. So district nine, it's like really on the nose. It's mm-hmm. racism, apartheid. It's located in South Africa. Oh, was that what that movie was about? Fuck. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, I remember that movie. So like something a little bit more subtle, like it follows where, you know, you're talking about the nuance of sexual relationships or catching an STI or, and the stigma behind that and how it can be quite deadly. Um, and not just that, that could, there, there's like a whole ramification of other things too. Like, uh you know sexual abuse and things like that that like there's just like a huge uh, analogy that you can put on these things that allows for us as an audience members to look at it dissect it and then talk about it which is what we're doing now and so pacific rim does that for a whole bunch of different issues and, and reasons and i just think because my at least for me my expectation was so low thinking that this movie was going to be absolute trash um like coming out of it i was like it's great and then rewatching it I still enjoy it, which is a good, which is always a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Sweet. Any final thoughts for me, Carmen? Yeah, I mean, like, what Gabe said, 
um, there's a lot going on there under the scenes and um, or uh, kind of like if you choose to dissect it if you want to but you can also just watch it as a movie where giant monsters get punched and um, it's wildly entertaining for that reason too so I think that the fact that it has that balance and does both those things so well is why I have so much respect for this film because it's kind of like uh, it's similar to the same reason why I think like certain rock songs are just like so good because if they have this kind of like pop appeal to them but they have something behind them going on that's um, you know maybe a little bit more admirable um, I, I can't think of a, a song off the top of my head, but uh, I mean, like, you know, maybe a song like uh, Still Waiting by Sum 41, you know, it's like this pop song that was very popular and, you know, uses a lot of pop uh, kind of chords and stuff and uh, like harmonies in the chorus and all that. But really, it's like a song about like, you know, saying no to hate and that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would I would liken it to that sort of thing where it's like there's a deeper meaning going on over top of uh, something that is still very easy to consume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think the other thing about this film is like kind of what we've been repeating is that it is universally digestible, right? Like it doesn't matter who you are, like what your what your kind of like preferences for taste for films, you can all it's for everybody. It's meant for everybody. Um, the one thing we didn't touch on. We kind of talked about it very subtly, though. Is the um, the comment, the commentary on idealism and fame and being a hero, which I think is always a really interesting aspect of it. Like the way that they've kind of how fame can transform people and how it can how that can be society's focal point for some things. I thought was a very interesting comment in the film too. It's not there for a lot of it, but hmm. I thought it was good. Right. Yeah. yeah. Basically, make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Obtain riches. Yeah. Or zip. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that will wrap us up for today. Uh, like I said at What's the top next? of the show, like I said at the top of the show, we are the Cooperators Viewers Couch. Um, you can catch us on social media. We have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Those will all be linked in the description of this uh, podcast. We also can be reached by email if you have any questions, comments, things that you want us to Ooh. read out. Just. just I was going to say dick pace for karma, but we're not going to put those anywhere. I would prefer to not receive those. I would prefer that he does receive those. No. <laughs> you got to be for every, you got to be for everybody, for the people. But wait, Gabe, I, it's going to come to our email address and it's not going to, like, I don't want to open that shit. <laughs> That's fine. I don't want to see any pictures of any genitalia <laughs> from anyone listening to the show. You see one, you've seen them all. You know? You've seen them all. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know how they look. So instead, send us your reviews and your comments, and maybe we'll read them out on the show. Um, you can also catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. If you listen to somewhere where they do ratings and comments, please give us that five-star rating if you think we deserve it. And if you don't, still give us that five-star rating because Carmen's awesome. Thanks. Um, other than that, next week we will be ru- going with Pacific Rim Uprising, the one and oh. only sequel to this movie, and I don't remember anything except uh, John Padilla is in it, because he's awesome. And, yeah. Um, 
prepared to be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do remember yeah. being disappointed. I'm pretty Stock sure Carmen, I think we watched this in theaters together too. Stock is jumbo egg is not good. It's just like... It's everything else. Uh, I, I think it's probably going to be one of our shortest reviews because I'm just going to agree with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I really think it will be. Because yeah, and I think that the plot summary will probably be a lot shorter because I just, it, like the other Pirates ones, like getting through two and three was so hard. And I was just like, I don't need to go through all this. I'll give you like a 10 minute summary next time. Monster oh. fuck shows up. They got to punch it. Movie's over. Movie's over. <laughs> at the end of every episode we have the question of the day from Gabe. Gabe hit me with that question. So my question is in the beginning of the film we talk about these monsters. Okay. And at the end of the film we're still talking about the monsters but they're all gone. So my question is are they all gone? Are they not all gone? What is a monster? How do you define a monster? That's my serious question and more philosophical question. But my silly question is this. If you, if you mind meld with the with that creature, and let's say you, it's not Star Trek, okay? It's drifting. Okay, so you drift with the creature, okay? And let's say you know you're still drifting, and you happen to have an erotic thought. Uh, is that, is that crossing species? Gross. Okay, that's been the oh, call for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a question for sure. Usually we get Don't some knock good it till you try it. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's going to be in the podcast now, Gabe. Well, yeah. I mean, haven't you guys ever with the kaiju? Oh, God. On that note, guys, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you next week.